get there on your pew Bible, just yell it out. Anybody get there yet? Everybody has their own Bible, so they don't even... Uh... It works. Oh, thank you. 767. So for those of you that saw, I took Jaren to the uh, Monster Truck Rally yesterday, which is awesome. It was a lot of fun. I've been there in a long time since I was younger. And, um, and so when I was younger, like Bigfoot, you know, was like the big deal. Bigfoot man hitting the ramps, jumping the cars, woo, you know, and then landing. And um, it was super loud in there. And, uh, you know, so we had our big uh, headsets on and it was and like exhaust everywhere and it's just you know everybody's yelling and screaming ah, 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 you know and, and Jeremy's really excited he doesn't really yell and scream a lot he just he just kind of sits there locked in one position with a huge smile like going from here to here I'm like you like this button he's like you know and he's just like watching sucking it all in and so all this like craziness and all this stuff is happening and I look to my left well I should tell you the other part so we sat in the wrong seats in the wrong section for like half the show. Yeah, and then uh, Jared and I, you know, had to go to the bathroom. So we get up during intermission, go to the bathroom, get our stuff, go back and sit down. And I'm like, where's all our stuff? And then I'm thinking, I'm like, who steals kids' stuff like at a monster truck show? <laughs> who steals a headset? Who steals a little kid's coat? You know, I'm like thinking all this stuff. And I'm like, no, that, that's not, that doesn't seem right. So I'm like looking around. I'm like, nobody looks familiar I'm like this is weird so yeah they're all messed up they're all messed up so I look at my phone because that's the way they do it nowadays you know all the tickets are on the phone so I look and I'm like section 215 and I look behind I'm like 215 I'm like we're good and like 7 and 8 I'm like 7 and 8 we're good and I'm like and I look over I'm like hey I know that lady you know I should <laughs> She was right next to us, like, oh, we're in 214, you know, so I had to get back over there, get our stuff, come back, so good job, Dad, home run. My brain's been like, we got me in. So, uh, all this craziness and all this noise is going on, and I look to the left of me, and there's this little girl with these little headphones on, she's probably like, maybe like Judson's age, maybe like two, two and a half, and she's like, just out, totally out. Just totally asleep. I was like, that is amazing. So the mom was there. I was like, do you mind if I take a picture? Because my wife is not going to believe that she was asleep during this. She's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. It was nuts. It was a lot of fun. All right, John 18. So this is like crunch time here. Jesus is hitting like... He had a mission and a purpose, and he's coming to it right now. So this is big time. Like, this is it. This is the moment. So let's pray. So, Father, we pray that you would open up our mind, that you'd give us an ability to hear your heart. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. It's just what you do. You speak to your children. And um, I pray absolutely that you'd speak through my words and that you know, you'd get me out of the way and that you would just talk. Um, but you'll also speak things to our hearts that I don't even talked about this morning, but things that you're just talking to us about and dealing with us on. And so I pray that we, that we would embrace your voice, that we would know your voice. We'd write things down, that we'd meditate on it, we'd incline our ear to listen to it. The so Holy Spirit, this is uh, your time, and uh, we don't want to do anything presumptuously. We want to just be spirit-filled. So we ask you just to come. Open up our minds, our ears, and our hearts. May you just put the distractions on hold and minimize them. Give us an ability to focus. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many people know that pressure many times is a magnifying glass? So pressure situations in life is a magnifying glass. Um, 
when the heat is on, you can tell what a team or an individual is made out of. So that's why many people like to avoid pressure situations. Anything high pressure, high stress, don't like that. Ugh. Other people are like, oh, I thrive in that. You know, I like that. It brings the best out of me. Um, I remember when, um, when I was coaching basketball, and, and, and this particular year, we had like a, just a really good team, just talented squad, and really good guys. It was a good locker room, and it, it was just a lot of fun. And that particular year, we, we didn't have a lot of close games because of that. It, it was just a, a, lot of, a lot of big wins. Um, which for our program wasn't always the case. It was for this year. So um, it's always kind of fun when you're winning, and it's even kind of more fun when you're winning by a lot. Um, and uh, even when they're scoring points, so it's a lot of fun. Um, so we're playing a game, and we're like midway through the season, and you know we're doing pretty well. And, and the guys were, it was a good group of guys. Nobody was thinking too highly of themselves. They all understood good work ethic. They all played really hard. It was a smaller school that I coached at. So we would play maybe six guys at the most. And so these guys were constantly running, full court pressing, all over guys. And you, you play with five guys on a court. And so if you got one sub, I mean, these guys are in good shape. They're always working hard. And so um, they never really thought too highly of themselves. and never really got to that point and never really had to have that talk with them, which was nice. As a coach, that doesn't usually happen if you're winning a lot. But we're in this game, we're playing, and we were up. It was, it was a bigger school, probably a more talented team. We were kind of known for playing above our talent level because we just had guys that were just bought into the system, and they understood that, hey, some of my things have to take a back seat for the purpose of the team. Maybe my playing time, maybe my shots, my points, whatever. So we're playing this game, and we're winning, and, and then this other team battled their way back, and like now this thing was tight. And we didn't have a whole lot of experience in tight, close games. So we call a timeout, and you see all the guys. And usually in a timeout or huddle, they're like, high five, yeah. And this one, you could just see on their face. Everyone, there was none of that. I was just like, you know, they're out of breath. and just looking at me, and they're like, coach, what are you going to do? This is close, you know. And, and, like, time is going down, time is going down, and, and um, we ended up taking the lead, like, with, like, a minute left. And we were only up, you know, maybe by, like, one. And we were, like, I think we are out of timeouts. And the other team came down. They scored. So now we're down one. Then we came back out, and I think we hit another one. So we went back up one. Then the other team comes down, and they hit a three. So now, like, we're down two. And now this time there's, like, maybe 20 seconds left, something like that. So then, you know, we drop a quick play, and, like, I'm like, guys, Gotta pay, we haven't been in this position before, but you got to pay attention. So I drop a play. They pretty much execute it like perfectly. This kid, you drop a play for him, he goes in. He goes in uh, for a layup off the screen and a, and a play, and he gets fouled. So he goes to the line, makes both free throws. So now we're tied. Then we get a steal off the inbounds, and then we score off of that. So now we're up a little bit, but there's like three seconds left. And so on, so they're kind of excited, but, you know, this is a pressure situation. Not used to this. So we're going to see what our team is made out of. And in pressure situations, um, many times just, like, simple things are very difficult to do. So I'm like, guys, listen, we, we have this thing won. The only way we can mess this up is if we mess this up. We have this. So, so listen, we're going to come out We'll be like, you know, we'll call them full court, but you can't play really close because if we foul them, they're going to be shooting. And then we could lose the game if they make all three of their free throws. Okay, 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 coach. You know? So I tell them where they go, what to do. We get out there. They inbound it to their best player. Everyone's kind of playing back. And then this one kid comes like sprinting on our team, comes sprinting at the ball, and I'm like, no. No, you know, he's like sprinting out to get a half court. He's not even like close. He's like sprinting. And he like jumps at the guy. And so the guy on the other team, is he couldn't believe this was happening. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. So him being a smart player, he runs right into him and just throws it up. Because he knows he throws it up as he's in the act of shooting, he'll get three free throws. 
And I'm like, no. And so he just like clobbers the kid. They collide at half court. And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> you know? Everybody in the band just are like, no, no, no. So then the kid goes to the line. He nails all three free throws. We inbound the ball with like, you know, a half a second. Throw up some craziness. It doesn't even come close. We lose. We are crushed. It was totally silent on the bench. You know, it was the weakest, like, after game, like, congratulations, like, congratulations, congrats, good game, good game, good game. You know, then we go into the locker room, and, like, what do you say then? Because I know the kid just feels absolutely horrible. So it's not good coaching them to be like, that was bad, you shouldn't have done it. You know, that's not good coaching. So, but then what do you say? Because that's rough. So I don't even know what I said. I was like... I don't even know what we said, but we said something, and it wasn't much, and it was totally silent. And then we went on the bus, totally silent away. It was like an hour and 20-minute ride. It was long, you know? And then we come back, and then we talked about it the next day of practice, and we kind of moved on from there, and, and it was difficult. It was, it was a team moment for us. And so sometimes, you know, that stuff happens in a marriage. Uh, sometimes that stuff happens with friends. Sometimes that stuff happens in a church. Um, but situations happen in life where I mean, it reveals kind of what you're made out of and the type of person that you are. Um, and in that moment, we, we could tell that at least us as a team, we, we weren't quite as solid as we thought we were. Um, when it got really important, uh, we couldn't follow some of the directions and we kind of collapsed. And the truth of the matter is, it wasn't just as felt at the end. There was other stuff that happened that put us into that position. And so that stuff didn't help either. You know, so us as a team, we just didn't get it together when it really mattered. Um, much can also be said and paralleled in real life. We're going to be put, it's not when, it's just a matter of if. I, I'm sorry, I got that totally backwards. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When, right? So if you're paying attention, you caught that. If you didn't, forget about it. So it's a matter of when. We're going to be put in just like rough, tough, fresher cook such situation. It's a guarantee to happen. It's a guarantee. And those of you that live life, like, you know about this. It's happening. And really the question is, like, how are we going to respond to it? That, that's really the issue. And then the next issue, next issue is, I guess, is how have I responded in the past? And is that going to dictate what I'm now going to do in the present or in the future? Because I think that for all of us, we want to do better. Like, we want to do better. And for the Christian, the Christian is equipped to actually not only do better, but perform in a supernatural way that maybe they knew nothing about in the past. That's crazy. Let that, let that, let that sink in. It's crazy. So we can always try and make effort to do better. But the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life equips and empowers the believer to live a life and do something in such a way to where they were never able to do that before and nobody ever taught it to them, but now they find themselves reacting in a totally different way. That's a huge part of the Christian life is allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work in us so that way we can now function in that way. And, and, and the Christian language attached to that is having us be in a situation where that doesn't dictate our level of faith and our level of belief and our level of response. It's the Christian who then sees the situation is then able to adapt that situation into their belief system and relationship with God. So like not that long ago, I was up here and I forget who was with, maybe it was with Josh. And I had some clay up here and we were talking about the potter and the clay and about how God is like the potter and we have the clay and he forms things. And, and that's true. And I think it's also true that God has equipped us through His Holy Spirit to make us able 
to take, let's say, the clay of life and form that into such a way so that the gospel, the good news, the light can then penetrate that situation instead of us, like, just being subject and totally on the defense and just a victim of whatever happens. We can play a much larger role. We've actually been equipped to play a much larger role. And when a Christian understands that and sees that, and the Holy Spirit makes that aware to the Christian, that's like a very dangerous Christian. Because then that Christian starts to approach life in such a way where, you know what? Ain't nothing can take me out. No matter what happens, I don't have a problem. I have an answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. I have a God who will be more than faithful. I don't know how he's going to do it. It looks horrible. But I know that I have a God who can do it, and he will transform this thing. So I will be transformed on the end, and his will will be done in the end. See, that's a totally different way to go through life. The other way without God is, man, I really hope this thing works out and I will do everything within my power to stack the deck so that way it does work out and let's hope for the best. That is an approach. As far as God's concerned, that's not necessarily the way he's asking us to live life. I don't think we totally just never try and do anything to help ourselves but to approach life and situations in such a way where we rely solely and primarily on our own resources it just gets us into trouble and when pressure comes we'll find out really quickly if we're just very much self-reliant or very much kingdom sustained because, man, I hope when the pressure hits us, and, man, it's coming. Like, it, it just, it comes. It happens. Life has a way of doing it, right? And if we believe, which we do, in an enemy and a devil and Satan who's also on the prowl and on the hunt, constantly looking to put a Christian under fire and see what they're really going to do. Man, it's coming. Much of our testing is really going to reveal the type of character, person, and faith that we And that's not to be depressing. That's not meant to be heavy or burdened. That's meant to be truthful, because I think we have to be told really what the truth is. So that's, in cold, that's told to be encouraging, I hope, because that no matter what comes our way, we have a God that's always working on our behalf. And He is faithful. He is real. He is true. We'll never figure it out unless we're willing to get out of the boat and let Him just have all access to everything. Gotta get a little tushies out of the boats and just get on into it. The waters are rough, but He is peaceful. part of that was that what we're going to read about today, which we'll go through that quickly because that went longer, but there's a guy in this scene, in this situation, to when the pressure was on, he totally caved in. And my heart 
like can relate to that, and then there's a part of me that's like, man, I, I don't want to fall into that trap. I don't want to fall into that. Because you can tell, as we're about to read, like, he knew what the right thing to do was, but he just could not, he couldn't bring himself to follow through on the right thing. And a good question is why? I'm glad you asked, because we're going to do that. So let's check it out. So, John 18, we're going to pick up verse 28. And if you missed last week, it was awesome. Check it out online, and then uh, it'll help a little bit. We had a good time last week. Verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So Jesus, right, had just been betrayed. He was just at the high priest. Does Caiaphas say high priest? That's where he was. Now he's going to the palace of the Roman governor. So by now it was early morning. He was betrayed at night. Stuff has been going on all night long. It says, by now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So they basically didn't go into this guy's house because he was a Gentile. Say Gentile. So they were like very concerned with going into his house because you could not go into a Gentile's house or really be close with him or her during Passover time. So they're like waiting outside for our man Pilate is about to show up on the scene. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? So they show up to this guy at Pilate's house because he's the guy that is like the ruler, the governor of this part. He's the guy that calls all the shots. He's like the law enforcement because they're not their own country at this point in time. Verse 30. If you were not a cr- criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. So Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. He's basically, I don't want to touch this. Like, you guys deal with it. Like, you know, you guys are Hebrews, Israels. You're talking about your, own, your stuff. Like, listen, does Rome have to deal with this? You guys can't settle this among yourselves. Basically what he said. So then they turn it up a notch. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. We just went from zero to a thousand real fast. Like, we don't want you to handle this. Like, we're trying to basically kill this guy, and we can't do that, so you got to do this. So, verse 32. This happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. It was prophesied earlier that he was supposed to die on a cross. So Jesus is allowing this thing to happen. Allowing this thing to happen. Verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? So he's like, oh my goodness, we're talking about execution. we got to talk to this man. So he says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus says, uh, he responds, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? He's like, so do you really want to know and talk about this thing? Or is this just, you know, what they're bringing up? Because Jesus is like, he's down to have a, a good, honest conversation. He's not really into just sitting down arguing about things. Verse 35. He goes, Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. He says, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. A.K.A., I am letting this happen. So he's allowing this. He's in, he has full capability to stop this whenever he wants. He knows that this is part of the plan. Right? Who knows that sometimes pain is in the plan? Sometimes that just comes with the territory. A full, well, obedient, repentful, honest believer, sometimes pain is part of the plan. That's maybe not the most awesome news, but it's the most truthful news. Because when he's sharpening us and growing us, sometimes it just hurts when he's doing some pruning in our life to get rid of some things that would be hurtful to us. Painful, 
I gotta say no to my boys and I really wanna like do something awesome for them. And then they flip out and fall on the floor, start crying, you know, doing the whole thing. Doesn't really make me feel good, but I know that whatever, like, I'm saying no for a good reason because whatever's about to happen, like, it's just not good for right now. Verse 37. He says, You are a king, then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right. I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this, I came into the world. So to testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's a big, bold statement. Verse 38, What is truth? Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for charge against this man. You probably want to underline that. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Which is kind of weird. Because some of the bogus charges brought against Jesus are that he was trying to stir up a rebellion. That there was a king other than Caesar that you shouldn't even pay your taxes to Caesar. So in a way, he's being extremely rebellious so much so that he's going to be a problem for Rome. So the people are like, yeah, don't give us the guy who's not doing it. Give us the guy that was convicted and then did do it. It's weird, right? 19. So, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. That's just brutal right there. So he knows, like, this is all bogus. So Pilate then, what he does decide to do, some perversion says has him scourged, flogged. He gets whipped 40 times. Just brutal. It's like this leather strap and pieces of bone and glass and stuff in it. And they just, not good. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. So just total mockery, right? And Pilate is letting this go down. And he's thinking, well, maybe if we kind of let this charade happen, maybe they'll lose the execution thing, and I sort of appease them. Verse 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charge against him. I want to underline that. That's number two, right? When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. So it didn't really help. They just wanted to go further. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Might want to underline that. That's number three. The Jews insisted... We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. A lot of people are like, eh, Jesus never actually said he was the Son of God. And he was on trial for that very thing. Everybody knows that's what he was saying. And in verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, underline that, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus is like, ah, hold up. Verse 11. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. That, they knew how to get a hold of Pilate's attention because his boss is Caesar. So basically they said, if you're not going to execute this guy, we're going to tell on you. Essentially, that's what they're saying. They're saying is, listen, obviously you must oppose Caesar then because... Jesus represents everything anti-Caesar and we are going to go straight to Caesar and say that you're in full support of everything against Rome. 
Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was a day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And I wanted to see one other thing real fast. Matthew 27. Turn there real quick. Matthew 27. This is Matthew's account of the same situation. John's is a lot more detailed, more detailed than any of the other Gospels. Matthew 27. Verse 17, we'll pick up. I'm just going to do a couple of verses, that's it. It says, so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus called the Christ? Sounds familiar, right? For he knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. You probably want to underline that. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Got to listen to your wife. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. And then it goes on to explain about how he gave them over. So here's the thing that kind of blows me away that's really interesting about this. Is that you get striking contrast in in really three main like characters. So you got Jesus. He's all about just the mission. He's like, I, I came, this is what I came here for. It was to die for sins. This is why I'm here. It's actually unfolding right now. Maybe not as glorious as everybody might thought, but this is the plan that God had for me right now. So he's just all about that tunnel vision. I'm just going after whether And he was pretty lonely there. Like, who do you have with him? You know, sometimes it worked out that way. So he's just going after it. And then you have... The religious leaders, they are so beyond warped that they have given total lies about what Jesus has said and what he has claimed. So much so that it led to a false trial. And now it's going to lead to just horrible verdict for death. And all that they're concerned about is, I can't go in the dude's house because it's Passover. I would be unclean then. Meanwhile, they are so driven towards doing what they want to do. In other words, they were so blinded by their own religion and own passion for God that they missed exactly who God was. That, I hope, is really sobering for a lot of us. Because there is not a whole lot of difference a lot of times between Pharisees and us. If if the God relationship gets minimized a lot, we can see ourselves a lot of times acting and thinking just like the Pharisees. Who are so concerned on doing something for God that we're missing the whole point of what's going on. That's why Jesus' response is, man, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. They're so blind of what they think is right that they're way far off. So then you have that, and then you got this guy, Pilate. So you got Jesus, you got the religious leaders who are just influencing the crowd. And then you got Pilate. This is the thing that's interesting to me, bless you, is that Pilate, he knows that this is a bad deal and it's wrong. In fact, we just read, he was trying to do everything he could to set him free. And then we read in Matthew that he knew that they just brought them up because they were envious, they were jealous of him. So he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew. He knew. So, he knew what the right thing was. And in Matthew, we didn't read it, but what he did was, I've said, crucify him, crucify him. He said, you know what? He washed his hands in some water and he said, I- I'm done with this thing. 
It's on you guys now. If only it was that easy to just dip your hands in some water and say, you know what? Now I'm, I'm not guilty of sending the king of the world to the cross. I don't think it's that easy. Now I don't know, you know, where Pilate eventually ended up when he died. Maybe later on he came around, God did something. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what we do know from this point in time, it doesn't look good. Currently, <coughs> it looks like he's a weak-willed man that's heavily influenced by the crowd. Right? It looks like he is a weak-willed man where the crowd is louder than his own conscience. And honestly, for him, down to Jesus or his job. She's like, man, as soon as they start talking about this Caesar stuff and going right to Caesar, I'm going to be out of a job. And, and possibly at that time, maybe he would have been executed, don't really know. But it definitely wouldn't have been good for him. So he's faced his decision. His decision was, okay, am I going to stick my neck out on the line for this guy, Jesus? Is it worth it? Should I? And I think, I think that question, is Jesus worth it? Should I stick my neck out on the line? Should I throw it all in? Is just really worth it? That is a question that the Christian is faced with time and time and time and time again. The enemy, and I, and I think, you know, God from time to time allows us to continue to revisit that and say, you know what, are you sure? Are you sure? Or you might think this, but it's not really quite as committed as you think. So he'll continue to bring us to that place of, am I really Lord of your life? Am I really Lord of your life? And he'll put us in a high-pressure situation. He folded like a cheap chair. Right? He was just done. The heat was on. He knew what was right. I mean, he's like, ah, it's going to cost me too much. No. Unfortunately, I feel like we just all know a lot about something like that. When the heat is on, in a relationship, in a job situation, in a financial situation, in a sexual situation, and God is asking us and calling us to a particular place, the battle's on. Right? The battle's on that. So it's like, what, what, we, what we tend to do is then sort of analyze and reason and sort of weigh what the pros and the cons. And I got to think, just trust me and go. Trust me and go. Uh, I, uh, one sign, one, one like sure sign, there's, there's a lot of them, but what one sign that helps for like a maturity spectrum kind of scale for a Christian is, is when we know something, there's a gap, and then us actually doing it, right? So one sign, there's, there's others, but one sign where we can tell where we are on that like maturity scale as a Christian is when the Holy Spirit makes us aware of something. So that's got to happen first. He's got to make us aware that he's working and doing something calling us somewhere. Something's going on inside of us. And then he'll give us a situation to put into practice. So we can gauge our maturity by it hits us and then the time it takes for us to do it. The very spiritually mature are hungry for that word. They get that word and okay, boom. And they are, they are right away looking. Where can I, where, where God, where, am I, where are we putting this in the place? How are you looking to do this? How is this going to work out? How do you want to do it? That's the way they're thinking. Like, that's the way their mind is going. Next stage would be, okay, that's from the Lord. 
we have to do it exactly that way. There must be some. You didn't have to do it like that in their life. So it probably doesn't have to happen like that in my life. Or that's asking a lot. You know, there's like this conversation thing that happens, right? And then we spend a long time there. That's that's a sure tell sign that like we're immature, you know, in our Christian faith. Because we're stuck in a place where there's still that battleground of who's the boss. And that's getting ironed out still. And all of us fall somewhere on that spectrum. But the goal for us as Christians is we want to at least strive for and function most of the time in the area when we hear his voice, then we start to look to move right away. I think that's what we're striving for. That's what we're going after. And we're all in... But... God will allow some situations to happen to reveal where we're really at. I mean, we saw where Pilate was at. I think he really knew deep down, you know, what the right thing to do was. But his character did not match up with his morality. He just didn't have the character to carry out what he knew had to get done. And God is calling us to be like people that have deep character. That's like they're going after it, whether they're getting the attention where people are around, or it's going to cost them. I know that I can have my kingdom come like through their life. Those are the people that man, God just, just moves in powerful ways and does amazing things. Regardless of what they have to offer. And those are the really fun stories. When you just offer up your breadcrumbs and a sardine and you just say, Lord, I don't really quite know how to handle the situation or do this, but I'm giving it over to you. In fact, it could even make things worse because I spent so many years just making sure there was just a peace there. Because that's all Pilate cared about. He just wanted there to be peace. See, I even have an issue with Pilate as soon as he says, okay, let's just like flog him. Maybe that will do it. Like that wasn't cool. If he was a man of high character and integrity, he'd been like, man, this is just not right. Cannot do this. I, I'm not even going to think about flogging him. Like, we shouldn't be going down that track. Because how many people know, once you open that can of worms, that, that thing gets like, it's hard to stop the momentum when we open up something. So, I let you a picture that's just sobering for us. It was a man that knew the character was just not right. It just wasn't right. He was weak-willed. And the Christian, God is calling for us, is to be strong. Not in ourselves, but strong in Him. We stand on the rock. He's our rock. He's the one that we run to first. That we pour out our hearts to. And then from there, he just takes it different places and does different things. I wrote down, uh, I think I heard it this past week. Dead fish go with the current. And I like to fish, so it just stuck out to me. So like when I'm fishing, and there's bait fish, and or there's like, you know, this bait I didn't use, and we're done at the end of the day, you know, you throw it in, and it just goes down the river, and it just goes wherever the current goes. You know, live fish that are active, you know, they can go against the current. They can do different things. And like, it's easy to go along with the crowd and what's happening and like what's popular and what's easier to do. That just doesn't necessarily guarantee that that's exactly what God has for us. Sometimes going with the crowd could totally be the right thing. Like, we're getting together, we're doing some Bible study stuff, and we're talking about da-da-da-da, we're doing some praise stuff here, and that's good. Go along with the crowd on that one. You know, that's good. But other situations, you know, it's like, 
source of wisdom. You know what I mean? So let's look at this because sometimes I have a hard time with this. Why would the Jewish leaders not go into the palace? Because they're afraid of being defiled. So they're more afraid of being defiled by going to the house than they are killing the king of the universe and conspiring a whole plan to make it happen. It's scary. So did Pilate really have an understanding as to why they handed over Jesus to him? I think the word makes it really clear, and that's why I like John's gospel, because he goes into detail more than any of them. Is that he really knew, like, this guy, this, he doesn't deserve this. What are you guys doing? They come back out, I'll kill him. And it goes back, Jesus, like, what, who are you? Are you a king? Okay, come, uh, there's no fault. Kill him. Okay, you know, like, he knows, like, this is not the best and the right thing to do. And he knew it was coming out of envy. So he knew it. And his wife said, hey, have nothing to do with this. He didn't listen. So if Pilate knew the right thing to do, why did he not do it? Well, isn't that the million-dollar question? At least in this particular case, the crowd spoke louder than his conscience. He didn't have the character to back it up. He had the character to back it up. And those other two things that are just, uh, you know, maybe the Lord just brings out some other stuff and you just want to write down in your notes, you know. Go for it. Um, so here's one temptation that I want to try and avoid too as we just the last final thought. Is that some people could think that, okay, I don't want to be like Pilate and so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go totally in the other direction and I'm going to be just super aggressive and overbearing about everything about the gospel all the time. That's like a knee-jerk reaction on the extreme end that could not be very helpful. Because all the way on the other end, you can be taken as a weirdo who doesn't know how to connect and people just stay away from you. Which I guess is, that's an option. I mean, that definitely, you know, that can clear out some space in your life. But I don't know if that's probably the best way to do it. So we want to be strong after what's strong. We want to do it in the right time. Because if you notice, there was a point in time when Jesus, he wasn't like, you know what, you're doing this the, right, what, the wrong way. You should, like, really listen to your conscience. Right? He wasn't, like, correcting Pilate as he ran along. Just wasn't what he was doing. And actually, during part of it, he was just silent. Sometimes we're just silent. It's just like, it is what it is right now. I'm just being silent about it. Not everybody hear all my complaining about this. Sometimes we be quiet. And um, it was also prophesied in Isaiah that as a lamb silent so Jesus would be. And so he knew that there was just going to be a time where he's like, you know what, it's not about defending myself right now. This is about letting God just have his way. So does that mean that God never has a time for us to defend ourselves? No, I don't think so. I mean, 1 Corinthians makes it clear, love always protects. But at some point in time when God is carrying out his way as we live our life, there's not a huge level of self-promotion, self-preservation sticking up for ourselves a lot. There's not like a, a large chunk of that in the Gospels and in Jesus' life. You just don't see a lot of it. You see most of, I'm giving my life away for the sake of other people. Well, what if it doesn't reciprocate? What if they don't appreciate it? What if I don't get it back? we're probably thinking wrong if that's immediately like what goes through our heads. Hopefully we're just thinking, I'm as a sacrifice to God because that's what he's called me to do. Is to be a vessel so he can work through me in my life and through my life. In whatever capacity, whatever it costs me. That's what he's looking at.
wrote down Proverbs 29.25, our last verse. says, fear of man will but whoever trusts the Lord is kept safe. Right? Fear of man will prove to be a snare but whoever trusts the Lord is kept safe. I don't know if Pilate knew that one, but that would have helped. Right? Fear of man and the crowds and what's happening it just can get us in trouble, get us entangled. We're called to be a people, man, who knows God knows who God is and where he's going and just going after that. And so it's my prayer that when the pressure is on, it will be revealed that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And that when you squeeze us, you get more Jesus. That doesn't mean we go around and start squeezing each other just to test them. It just means, you know how life happens. Things just happen, you know. Hopefully there's just an extra measure of God and Jesus that flows out. And then if there's not, hopefully we're humble enough to be like, Father, there's like, it's probably hard to tell. I even believe in you right now. But I don't want it to stay that way. So just help me with it. It's amazing what you can do with just a simple prayer like that. So let's, uh, we're going to close with this uh, final hymn here. And I think the word, oh no, I don't have the words. I don't have the words. I don't have the words. But the intent was, that one was on purpose, I promise. The intent on this one was just to just meditate and just be quiet and just pray during the song. All right, so we can play it kind of low. And then uh, we'll just do that. Just get some prayer time with the Father. And then I'll...